You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. If you haven't heard me talking about Apple's laptop processors, the M1 and now the M1 Pro, M1 Max, then this is going to be a catch up for you (laughs) because I've been talking about it all year. Since 2020, when Apple announced their ARM processor transition for all of their laptops, desktops, basically everything that isn't iOS, everything that's Mac, Mac is going towards an ARM processor. Now, they don't call it ARM. They call it Apple Silicon or M1. But underneath that, the architecture of the CPU is ARM 64-bit compatible. And that means for anyone who's experimented with a Raspberry Pi or even some of the new AWS Graviton instances, you now have a laptop that can run the same processor architecture. And I couldn't be more excited right now. In fact, I think this is a pivotal moment in this decade of software development that is similar to what we dealt with in the 90s when we all started shifting to x86. And then in the 2000s, when we shifted to 64-bit from 32-bit, which typically required the same level of effort. Back in the 2000s, when we were going 64-bit, we had to change out our compilers and do a bunch of work as builders to make sure that our code would operate correctly on a 64-bit machine. And now you can draw a lot of parallels with how this whole Apple Silicon thing is happening. And this show was technically aired in January of 2021. So think back to after Apple had announced the M1 in 2020, and now in the end of 2021, they have a whole set of new M1 processors that are way better, way faster. Everyone's loving the laptops because they've basically rolled back a lot of features like the touch bar, and we get new advantages around battery life. and. Now we have ports, but the focus here on this topic is really about how a developer is going to be affected by the fact that we no longer can assume everything we're building for is an Intel x86-64 processor. That is huge. And I think a lot of us, unless you've been around decades in the software development ecosystem, you have probably not had to deal with multiple architectures for your application. And that's where this show is going to focus. So it's technically almost a year old, but everything that I talk about in it holds true. Really, the difference is that everything is better now. (laughs) Everything is more stable now than it was in the early days of the M1 releases. And I'm using it day to day. In fact, just about everyone I know on a Mac has a plan for how they're going to get their Apple Silicon M1 machine. And people that are on Windows are already talking about the future of Windows on ARM. So if you're someone who's just been developing for Intel your whole career, hopefully this show will be enlightening 
as I talk about all the capabilities built into Docker and Docker Desktop specifically, ideas around how to do x86 things on ARM and ARM things on x86 using something called QEMU, where Windows is at, and other multi-arch topics. And basically, my commitment in this show is that we are now in a future where we're going to have to build a lot of our software for both Intel and ARM if we want to take advantage of native compatibility. And servers are going to start going towards ARM. Laptops are clearly going towards ARM based on Apple's success over the last year plus. And I think everyone else is looking at Apple and realizing there's a lot of potential here if they can get to ARM. It's already started to happen in the server world with AWS's ARM instances, and they now are on Gen 2 of that, which is even better than before and claims 40% more efficient performance per dollar than standard Intel and AMD machines, which we've all been used to, right, in the cloud. That's pretty much all we've had a choice of unless you're in some of the IoT markets where you maybe have access to ARM-based devices. Well, my prediction here is that we're all gonna be dealing with multi-platform, multi-architecture, and that we need to start learning these tools and techniques now, and I go into some of that. Now, in 2022, I do expect to put out another one of these ARM videos, and I'll probably be an update on how the entire ecosystem I'm predicting here will gather around, as we're already seeing that, with tools like Nerd Control and Lima, which help you run containers without Docker Desktop on Intel and ARM machines. And it's already supporting ARM in its early days of sort of beta testing there. And I'm gonna see that transition on all the other tools. In fact, if you look at the ecosystem, we've already got patches to VS Code. I've got other tools in my tool bag that are planning their ARM native releases. And I think this is just going to be a huge wave that's eventually going to <laughs> suck us all in to creating Docker files and managing container images for multi-architecture, which luckily Docker already supports really, really well. So I hope you enjoy this show talking about ARM, Apple Silicon, and more. Hello, welcome to my show and happy new year. This is my first show of 2021. I am by myself today, so no guests today. I only thought of this show this morning because in the middle of the night last night, I basically was sort of, it was coming to me, the realization of where this is going to all go. Once Apple decides everybody's going to be on an ARM processor and you can't buy an Intel Mac anymore, and there's so many developers on Mac, we're essentially going to get to a point where this is now an arms race of Apple's processors are amazing now. They're cool. Their battery life is great. Their performance is amazing. Like everyone's going to love it, supposedly. I'm waiting for my M1. My Mac is a couple weeks out. But there's a lot to unpack here because this affects developers. And Docker has been doing this stuff for years. Docker has been making this cross platform, cross architecture development easier for years. And there's lots of, I wouldn't say hidden, but there's lots of features about Docker that people don't realize are already there for doing this kind of cross platform architecture development. Today, you can do this now. You actually can develop for ARM without the M1 Mac. You can actually develop for Intel for x86-64 architecture on an M1. We can do all that now with Docker. So I wanted to go into demos. I want to get into questions. I'm going to talk about this because this is bigger in my mind. This eventually will lead to us all 
possibly not only having to build our applications for ARM and Intel, or maybe in some cases just ARM, but we're going to have to develop that way. And we're going to have to consider our development teams on different architectures. How do we all work together? How do we develop together? If some of us are on ARM and some of us are on Intel, like how does that all even work? Well, luckily, Docker has already got the solution. It actually is already there. It just may not be obvious to you. I, I really want to know what you don't know yet. What are you concerned about? Do you have any concerns? Do you already know all this stuff? To me, the M1 was very confusing because at first when they announced it six months ago, I was like, okay, how does this even going to affect me? They said parallels and Docker will work. But <laughs> to the Docker team surprise, they didn't really know much at the time. They didn't have a a demo machine yet. They didn't know how to play with it. So, you know, it was kind of an announcement in the dark that Apple was keeping such a secret lid on it that even the people that were going to eventually make this all work didn't know how it was going to work yet. But the difference Docker on ARM and x86. Yeah. So we can definitely, we're going to start out with the basics and then we're going to get into complicated, not necessarily complicated, but we're going to talk about things like manifests and architectures in Docker and how you know, what image are you actually running? What architecture are you running when you type Docker run on different systems? If I type Docker run on a Raspberry Pi and then I type Docker run of that same command on a Windows machine or a Mac, what's happening in the background? That, that's all really great stuff. And I don't talk a lot about it in my courses. I do touch on it on my Docker for Node.js course because Node is one of those images that happens to work on ARM and x86. So uh, I talk about cross-platform development. Almost two years ago, about a year and a half ago, Docker made an announcement about a partnership with ARM and how they were going to make Docker the best place to do ARM development. At the time, 99% of all developers were all on Intel machines. So we all, if we wanted to develop for an ARM, we either had to go jump into SSH on a Raspberry Pi or we had to use Docker Desktop, which already comes with an emulator. We'll talk about that. That's called QEMU. We'll talk about what that is and how that works in Docker Desktop, how you can use it, how you can use it on a server. Uh, you can actually set it up on your servers because it's not there by default. Lots of stuff. Security of Docker. So we're, today I want to focus on this ARM stuff, this architecture support, multi-architecture specifically, not even just ARM, but multi-architecture and Docker. And I'm not going to focus too much on security. If you look back in my brett.live channel, if you search for secu security in that channel, you will find past episodes where we talk all about security. I have a security experts on. We actually, last year, we had uh, a number of shows where we talked about security. Do you foresee anyone outside of Apple making a competitive to M1 ARM trip I can run Linux on? Emphasis on competitive. I think they have to. So this is the thing I was thinking about last night. When there's billions to be made in any market, there may be a dominant player, but eventually there's going to be legitimate competition. So Apple has been buying up chip manufacturers and reserving space with chip manufacturers for years on all of their A processors, right? Uh, and now we're calling this one M1, but I think it's effectively an A14 chipset. It's a 64-bit ARM architecture. And they're not the only ones making ARM, right? AWS now makes their own ARM chip in their ARM servers. And they're not necessarily, I'm not sure of the competitive analysis of the performance spec on them. Like if you got an M1 Mac, and then you've got the top of the line ARM machine on AWS and you did sort of a CPU or IO perform. Well, I wouldn't do IO because that's obviously going to, I'm probably going to be better in, in a laptop than it is on a server, but who knows? The, the server would have to have like local SSD. I don't know if AWS's servers have how their SSDs are attached on their storage and stuff like that. So 
we've got servers already that can run ARM. We've got laptops that can run ARM. Windows has an ARM version. It's not great. But here's my thought, is if Apple's going to start putting out these crazy laptops, and by what I mean by crazy is uh, there's a great video that kind of spawned. I think I watched this yesterday, and I had to let it sink in. There's a lot of stuff coming out right now about M1 and what that means for the average user. There are some great videos out starting to come out about developers on M1 talking about Visual Studio Code. And there's actually been some bugs in a lot of this stuff. Go has bugs. Apple actually has bugs. <laughs> and VS Code, the underlying architecture of VS Code, has been buggy as well. I use multiple apps that rely on the JavaScript underpinnings of VS Code. And those have had some quirks over the last couple of months with this as well. So as well as Big Sur. So if you're on Apple, like you've got multiple problems right now. I've got a new OS and we've got a new architecture and both have problems. So the hypervisor framework is new in Big Sur. So, or at least updated. I'm not sure if it's brand new, but it's, a, it's an updated version of the virtualization architecture that's also got some challenges in terms of changing over. But you can tell I'm excited about this stuff. This is pretty cool. So this video talks about how... Um, even Linus Tech, like all these videos that are showing the performance differences of Apple show that it's clearly kicking butt for a small amount of money, right? Less than $1,000. You can get a laptop that's outperforming just about everything else out there, especially when it comes to battery life, heat, fan noise, all those things. I got jet fans running in my Apple MacBook right now. Just it, That just happens when I turn on a camera and screen share, essentially. All, that's all I have to do to make it sound like a jet. So they did all this performance testing and like the M1 MacBook Pro lasted, I think, eight hours compared to the best Dell or HP or something. Right now, what we've got is a disparity in the market. And anytime there's a vacuum like that, there's going to be competition that's going to try to take advantage of that vacuum. So on the Windows side, you know, Dell, HP, all these companies, they have got to step up, right? So they're probably scrambling, pissed off about this Apple announcement because they're, and they talk about in this video that, you know, people are already switching. I mean, of course, people switch every day from Mac to Windows to Mac. Like, that's, that happens for various reasons. But it's starting to happen right now in ways that is going to be problems later on for HP and Dell if they don't step up, if these PC manufacturers don't step up and start delivering better battery life. And they may not be able to do that on Intel. There just may not be an option anymore. And they are going to be forced on the ARM. So I see this coming out of if we can't get Intel chips that can actually compete on a heat, you know, energy, what is it, uh, CPU power per watt thing that they do, the calculation, performance per watt, whatever that is. If there's not an Intel solution to that, performance per watt, because that even matters in the data center as well. So, you know, your servers are going to be cheaper in AWS if you can get better performance per watt. So if we can't fix that on the Intel side, then there's going to be this shift to ARM. It just has to be because everyone will start moving to Apple computers because they last so much longer and they're so much faster and they're so much cheaper for performance per watt. It's just inevitable. And of course, these companies aren't going to let them do that. This is, there's billions of dollars on the line. So in my mind last night, I was like, okay, this is going to lead us down a road where either it doesn't look like there's an Intel architecture that's going to miraculously fix all these problems and cause it to be truly competitive with Apple's M1 ARM. And Apple's creating their own silicon so they, they have a competitive advantage because they've been buying up these companies and buying up chip manufacturers and reserving space with chip manufacturers so that no one else can use them. So there's other companies out there that are going to have to start doing this. And, you know, I can just only imagine in the boardrooms of HP and Dell and all these other laptop manufacturers on the Windows side and Microsoft themselves, because they make the surfaces, like they're beating their fists saying, we've got to be able to compete. Like we're, they're looking out years seeing that, okay, we've already got this M1X that they're talking about and that's probably going to be an M2 eventually. Like we, if Intel's not going to be able to close the gap 
on performance per watt, then people are just going to switch. And people are going to figure out, you know, figure out that maybe running Windows on a Mac is actually faster than running Windows on a Windows machine. Now, this has kind of happened a little bit before. It happened way back like a decade ago, because the way I got into Mac was when the MacBook Air came out, the original one, it was the thinnest, lightest, sleekest laptop to run Windows. It was better than the Lenovo's that I had. It was better than all of them. And so I was actually a convert because I wanted to run Windows. And I wanted it on a simple, sleek little laptop. And I bought a MacBook Air for that. And then I've stuck with it ever since. Ever since then, I've been on Mac. Not because I hated Windows. It's just, it slowly converted me over time, right? Because of various efficiencies with Apple. But I still love Windows. I still use Windows almost every day. I've got a Windows server sitting in the closet. I'm still a Windows fanboy. I love Surfaces. If I had a use for one, I would own one. I actually just sold my old Surface because it was just getting too old. But I don't have a new one. So I feel like I'm not doing all this because it's Apple. It's more about everybody's just realizing, holy crap, this is awesome stuff. It's super fast and it lasts forever compared to the typical laptop we're all used to. So let's just assume that we're going to now have to compete on the Windows side and all PCs are now going to have to offer an option for ARM. So if that's the case, now developers, like every developer team is now going to either have to insist that no one uses ARM or no one uses Intel. We're all in the same architecture or they're going to have to support multi-architecture development. And then what happens when AWS ships more competitive chipsets because they've got some on the horizon and those are better performance per watt, price better, because I feel like their first release wasn't that great. It, it wasn't a clear winner for all workloads to shift to ARM in the cloud because when you start looking at the performance per dollar, it didn't always make sense. And in fact, in my case, I, I did the research on this like a year ago and it was, yeah, maybe a year and a half ago. And it didn't really make sense for most typical workloads to actually switch to ARM for a price difference. Sure, the servers were cheaper, but they were slower. So if you wanted, if you were considering it dollar performance value, like you, you probably just stay on Intel. But that's going to, that may change. Like they may do better processors and ship better processors faster than Intel can. So we're now all in a pickle because now we have to care about architecture. A year ago, most of us, very few of us, unless you were IoT, or in some edge market where you were dealing with uh, ARM, which, you know, I would, I have never had one of my clients in 10 years worry about ARM. And now suddenly they're going to have to, I think. But I'm not an expert on ARM chipsets and all that stuff. So, and, and like the players in that industry. So I'm not, there's probably better YouTube channels for that. I'm just looking about how this is all eventually going to roll out and how, if it's truly that great on the Apple ecosystem, developers are going to start, you know, they're going to creep into the environment, right? 20 years ago, Macs were not a common developer platform, but as they got better, and once OS 10 came out and we started getting Unix underpinnings and developers started liking that experience, Macs started creeping into the developer teams that were previously all Windows. And they started creeping in. And then they had to figure out in the teams how to support developer environments on both platforms. And now I'm thinking, okay, now we're going to do the same for architecture, not just platform. AWS's data centers will run on ARM architecture. I don't know when you mean run on ARM architecture. There are already ARM instances in the data centers. You can buy those today. KVM can run ARM too, like Q, uh, QEMU. I actually don't know. QEMU can run, it works with KVM, as far as I know, to help emulate an entire operating system on a different architecture. Uh, the QEMU is, is the emulation layer. So uh, we're going to get that to a minute. 
How do you think ARM will be available for desktops? I have no idea, actually. There's probably, I'm going to guess there's already an ARM desktop out there. It's probably just not popular, but made by a major manufacturer. But if you want to say ARM desktop, well, that's the Mac mini is ARM, the, the new one, which is what I'm order, I ordered and am waiting on. That's an ARM desktop. I don't know if you can run Windows RT on it. I don't know if anyone's got that working yet. So you can have Windows, but, but you can run Windows in parallels, Windows ARM architecture on parallels, ARM architecture on a M1 Mac today. I've seen that working. I just haven't done it myself. Should you buy Mac to get to know Docker and ARM better? No. Okay, so this is a great question. You can run ARM images on Windows or non-ARM systems today. That's using something called QEMU. So we're getting enough questions about that. So I'm just going to talk about it briefly, and then we'll get into it a little bit deeper later. Apple computers don't run games. I would beg to differ because I run Blizzard games all the time. I was on World of Warcraft last night on my Mac. So it does run games, just not your games. Let's see. I run Docker, SSC, NVIDIA. When's there? Do you see any differences between where the M1 would go in tiny environments like this and the Pi? Well, the M1 is just Apple's branded ARM, right? So really, I think your question is ARM. The SOC NVIDIA GPU thingy is different. As far as I know, I'm not super... I don't, is that an ARM? I thought that was all about GPU. I guess it's got to be ARM and G plus GPU. I don't actually know anything about the uh, NVIDIA, the NVIDIA hardware kits. All right. This isn't about ARM. This isn't about Apple ecosystem. This is about choice, right? And I would say every developer team I have worked with in the last five years, so dozens of teams, they're all multi-architecture developers, meaning they have some developers on Windows, they have some developers that use Mac, they have some developers that use Linux as their OS. Right? So in, in most shops, or at least in my experience, most shops, I'm sure that there's definitely out, companies out there that make a standard, they only buy Windows, they only support this and that, but Mac has crept in and now Linux is creeping into these developer teams for many reasons. One of them is very much that if, you know, developer choice, developers have the power because there's very few of us to want to have choice. And if they care about the OS they want to be on, a, a team's kind of got to figure out a way to support them in order to keep them hired. So at least that's my experience. You know, developers have their own preferences. And now that we have all the right tools that work on all three of these different environments. So let's break this down a little bit real quick. So we're, there's two things to worry about here. We're talking about an operating system. So basically the kernel and then the architecture. These are two different choices, right? It's a many to many relationship. So on the OS side, we have Windows, we have Linux, and then we even have mainframe, okay? On the architecture side, we have half a dozen choices or more, right? We have ARM v7, 32-bit. We have ARM v8, the 64-bit that, like, that Apple's using now in ones. When you get you know, chipsets in the cloud, they're 64-bit, I think, with AWS. That's, I think that's, again, I'm not the ARM expert, but I think that's like the v8 architecture. And then we have you know, x86-64, which we all sort of call AMD-64, the 64-bit architecture that we're all used to that I'm on right now. Uh, servers in the cloud, 99% of them are probably that architecture. Uh, instead of saying AMD-64, I'm going to say x86-64. That's, that's the Docker nomenclature for it. That's um, one of the official ways to talk about it. So that's the Intel path, right? That's an architecture choice. And there are other ones. There is PowerPC, PPC. There's some mainframe stuff. There's uh, 32-bit Intel, so there's x86, uh, or uh, 386 rather, that's a 32-bit Intel architecture. So these are, arch these are processor architecture types, right? Motherboard architectures. And then there's the OS you put on them. So when you think about your Docker images, and you may not have realized this, but each one of those images 
always has made those two choices. It makes an OS choice when you make that image or when you're using that image. It's making a choice for you in the background based on certain criteria. And that's one of the nice things about Docker. It's also one of the things about Docker that can, you can get really confused about because it's hidden away a little bit behind this manifest command and these manifest files, which we'll talk about. On your machine right now, if you did a Docker run Nginx, a choice is being made on which architecture and which OS it's running on. Now, if you're on a Windows machine, there's actually this way in Windows where you can do the same thing, where you can choose between Windows containers, which run a nginx.exe, essentially, or the default Linux architecture that we all typically use, which is a Linux binary. So that's the kernel compatibility. And then there's the architecture. For most of us, we've all been using the Linux kernel OS choice, right? A few of us are still doing .NET framework, which is fine. .NET Framework, which is a Windows container. It's using a .exe binary that's compatible against the Windows kernel only. And you can't run that anywhere other than on a Windows machine. Microsoft does not make .exe compatible Windows kernel that somehow runs on Linux or something else. You have to create a virtual machine, install Windows on it, and that's the proprietary Windows path. When it comes to architecture, what we're now talking about is that all of us have been, you get an ARM system. Until you get an ARM system, an M1 system or some uh, Raspberry Pi or something like that, your defaults in Docker are going to be x86-64. And assuming you didn't enable Windows containers, it's going to default to Linux. And you can see that on any image. You see these tags up at the top, and they're not all specific to architecture and uh, operating system. But you can see in here that like this node image, it has a Linux, which I just happen to know as an OS tag. So it's saying this is a Linux image, and it supports various architectures. In this case, it, these tags that it has on it, this is the 64-bit, what we're all using today. This is the x86-64 that is the default for most of us. It just, when you run an image, it's looking at your platform that you're running on. What is the operating system Docker's running? What is the architecture of that OS that Docker's running? And it's going to choose that image. You can change that with a dash platform option. But a lot of the Docker commands now have a dash platform option that lets you choose which one you basically, rather than letting it magically find the default that for your local machine or wherever you're running the command, you can force it to use something else. When you do that, it's going to use an emulator called QEMU, which is not a Docker specific thing. It is uh, a generic thing that is for Linux and it allows you to emulate VMs and applications from one architecture to another. All right, so this is specifically about emulating architectures on other architectures. And one of the big questions I had eight months ago was, does QEMU support running x86-64 apps on an ARM64 architecture? And it does, actually. <laughs> Turns out it does. The opposite is true. It will run ARM64 on the Intel x86-64. It goes back and forth. So Obviously, there's a performance hit. This is not something that you would ideally use in production if you can prevent it because you're going to eat up a performance hit there. I've heard all sorts of numbers, but I haven't done my own testing. I'm looking forward to doing my own testing when I get my machine and comparing. What, one of the things I'm going to do is once I get the M1 is on Docker, run the same performance test inside a Docker image on Docker desktop on both an Intel Mac and an M1 Mac and do it both ways. So when you and enable this platform option and you choose the a different platform, it will automatically in the background, Docker Desktop will use QEMU to run that so that it emulates that processor architecture. 
And so that's going to get a performance hit. So this isn't about comparing an M1 Mac to a regular Mac or an ARM, because there's obviously going to be performance differences in all sorts of nuanced ways. But what, what I'm curious about is as a developer, if you have to be on one architecture for your machine, and then you have to develop or run Docker images of a different architecture, what does that look like? How big of a performance hit is that? How hard is that to manage? And what is it going to look like when we have teams of developers that are, some are on ARM, some are on Intel, and now we've got ARM Mac, Intel Mac, ARM Linux, Intel Linux, ARM Windows, Intel Windows, like this crazy world that we live in, right? So how much of a headache is this going to be? Because this is probably my future as a consultant to work with teams on figuring this out, learning what's called a multi-architecture Docker repository or a, a manifest file. What is that? We'll get to that in a bit. So over here, back on the node thing, we go to tags. Most of us haven't had to ever care about this. So if I look at this OS architecture, the, the latest node image, and specifically for 12 Buster Slim. So Buster is a Debian-based Linux distribution. And so for that particular Linux distribution, they are pushing these different architectures of the same image. So in theory, they're taking the same Git commit of node code, and they're building the image on different architectures. You can actually do that all at the same time nowadays with the docker build x command, a, a new version of the build command that allows you to do a one-shot line that allows you to specify multiple architectures and it will build that image in the background using QEMU. Or it can actually use remote machines that are on that actual hardware if you don't want to use QEMU emulation. So this AMD64 is the one that we all have been using on our regular Intel machines. It just works. But it turns out if you specify any of these others, maybe not all of them, but some of them, specifically the ARMs, which is the topic of today, I can choose ARM v7. That's the 32-bit older ARM architecture. That's an older Raspberry Pis, some IoT things. And then there's the ARM64 v8. That's the, the, the current one. That's what the M1 is running. That's, I think that's what AWS's servers are running. Um, pretty sure those are 64-bit chips in AWS. And then there's other ones. There's PowerPC, there's uh, 390X, which I, I think that's mainframe. I'm not actually sure on that one. I'm not sure what 390X is. There are several IBM's, like IBM Z architecture. Now, what's interesting, you may not realize, is that every tag that you have of an image, every tag has its own manifest file, which is this JSON file that's always been there. And normally it just describes for a single tag, it will describe the layers of your image. Because when you say Docker run node, there's actually not just one file to download, you know? So when I'm over on my laptop and I do Docker pull node, in the background, Docker's going and asking the registry, Docker Hub, for the manifest because it needs to know which layers to pull because each layer is its own file. And each one of them has their own SHA hash that it has to find the digest in order to find that stuff. It also is doing this thing around architecture and operating system that we've never really, most of us ever cared about. So Docker has a relatively new command called Docker manifest that I can inspect or see the manifest file of a particular image. You can also use Docker manifest to create your own for your own images. Now, in the background, this has actually always been happening. When you create a Docker image with Docker build, it's creating that manifest for you just for that image, whatever system that you're on, that you're building on, it would just default to the architecture and the OS that you're on. It assumes that's what you want to do unless you override the defaults. 
and it would make that file, that JSON file exist. And then when you push that image, it's pushing that manifest with it to the registry. It has to be there. So it's always going to specify the architecture and the OS. But now we may have to care about this more and you may have to start building your images for your team with multi-architecture support so that your developers that are on an M1 or the future of Windows RT, I think is what it's still called, you're going to have to build your images so that all developers can run them on these different architectures so that they're not forced to only use Intel, which is what we all have today, right? So on my system, because I'm running an Intel Mac with Docker desktop, when I type Docker run node, it's on an AMD 64 Linux, because in the background, Docker desktop is running a Linux VM through the hypervisor of Apple. And this is the same thing on Windows, right? If you're using WSL2 on an Intel machine, it's going to be running a Linux AMD 64 VM. And so it's going to choose that same architecture and OS when you type Docker run. So this is the thing you can do right now. So you can run these ARM images. You can find out if the apps you use have ARM compatible images, right? So you can know whether or not your M1 will work. You can go search them on Docker Hub, or you can just try running them here. Now, if the platform doesn't exist, you'll get an error that that doesn't exist in the manifest, that that image doesn't exist. And that's its way of telling you essentially that someone has not built that application with multi-architecture support and put it on Docker Hub. A lot of the official images are cross-architecture, but not all of them, and certainly not a lot of the industry stuff, and especially probably in your company. If you've never had to worry about it, there are no ARM 64 images of your apps in Docker Hub. It's only going to be the x86-64 stuff that you're probably building by default. So what does this mean for Docker Desktop on M1? This means that the Docker team actually chose that if you're going to be on an M1, which is unfortunately, we don't have a Windows ARM Docker Desktop yet, but I got a feeling that's, they're maybe not necessarily planning it, but that's something that's going to happen once the community demands it. Because <laughs> they got a huge outcry for M1 support for Docker Desktop, right? And of course, Apple actually said it in the keynote, so it kind of had to happen. But on the Windows side, as ARM becomes more popular there for developers, because it does exist today, but I don't believe there's a Docker Desktop for that. So Docker will have to build that support once the community goes in. You have to go into the roadmap on, on GitHub and then thumbs up that you want Windows ARM support. And the more people that do that, the more likely Docker will do that because that's kind of how they're choosing some of their decisions for what they build next. So on your M1, when you type Docker run node, it's going to default to that ARM 64 V8 architecture, which means that if you just pick up a Mac and you start running your apps, unless those app images have already been built, you're, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> Postgres probably works. I'm just going to assume Postgres has an ARM image, but I'm pretty sure MySQL would work. So let's just go see. So check this out. I only see x86 there. So it looks like the default MySQL image only is built for AMD. I'm looking at the MySQL image, and AMD is the only one that is supported. So if your Docker Compose file has a MySQL in it, and you just grab an M1 and do a Docker Compose up, it's going to fail because this it can't find the image for your architecture. Now, you can still use this image. You just have to specify the platform. And that's just something you, that you would need to hard code into your stuff. So let's go look at Docker Compose. So we know you can do dash platform from the Docker run command line. What I assumed was that Docker Compose would allow me to also specify that in the Compose file for which platform it's going to run. That may not be a thing. 
BuildX is the way that you build these images. We talked about that earlier. And it little talks a little bit about QEMU and how that's set up. So real quick on the QEMU, it's built in the Docker desktop. It's a convenience feature that Docker desktop provides you. On any Linux system though, like on a Linux server, if you wanted to also do this, you could just install and enable QEMU yourself and basically tell Docker that it's available. Once you've done that, and I believe Docker has documentation on it, once you've done that, then Docker will do this same thing that you can do locally on any Docker desktop machine today. It'll do this same kind of thing on a Linux machine uh, on a server. So you just have to set that up yourself because it doesn't come out of the box with a Docker engine install on a Linux machine. All right. Look at the version two. Would that be another thing that's not specified? Oh, look at that. So yeah, so version two. Now, this one thing that I, I should test, this is a side note, Docker Compose, the latest version, 1.27, the Docker Compose command line no longer requires a version field in your file. And essentially, uh, it, it supports now, my understanding is, it supports all the version two and version three stuff all in a single file. All you have to do is just remove the version line from the top as long as you're running Docker Compose CLI version 127 or newer, which is months, if not it's maybe six months old. So anyway, we're getting rid of the version in Compose spec, which is great. So yeah, so you can hard code this. So you can do this in your Docker Compose files and then on your M1, it will download and run the things that it has to that you don't have support for, like MySQL, it'll run those through QEMU and emulation. Now, I haven't tested this myself, but the Docker team has told me that the performance is actually pretty good. Because the M1 chip is so much faster than what most people would have in their laptop today, you know, I've got Apple's most expensive 16-inch brand new <laughs> laptop that is now not as fast in some cases as the M1. So I'm expecting if I were to buy an M1 laptop, MacBook Pro today, that's a fraction of the price of the one I bought, that because of the performance improvement of the M1, that the emulation may not be, you may not notice it, is my point. You may not notice that the QEMU is technically slowing things down because you're getting a faster chipset. I have yet to test it, and I, I don't have any performance specs of my own, and I, don't, I haven't seen anything coming out of the Docker teams. I can't promise any of that. That's just what I expect is portability or multi-architecture support that people are actually concerned about between the vast adoption of interpreted languages and language native cross-platform. I thought this was over. Yeah, I don't think that's absolute. I don't think it's over because, you know, I work with a lot of companies that are just now adopting Docker and these companies have never even had to think about multi-architecture. And my concern Im immediately is about developers choosing and that Windows ARM, I think is now inevitable unless some Intel or AMD can pull a chip out of the, their hat that's somehow going to solve this problem, we're going to end up in a world where laptop manufacturers are looking at how they can make Windows ARM better. And Microsoft's now going to try to make Windows ARM better instead of a side project. And more apps will be, you know, the demand is going to create more demand and the competitive advantage of Apple is going to create more good demand on the Windows side for ARM. And that's my theory anyway. This is obviously not going to happen overnight. This is going to take years. But I'm looking forward three years, five years, and I'm thinking this is going to end up being a world where we're going to have people on Windows and Macs, both sides, on both architectures, having to develop on the same apps. And how do they do that? Most of us, in fact, none of my clients have ever had to make, that I can recall, ever had to create a manifest file to do their Docker work or to deploy their apps. Because to me, because the silicon in AWS for ARM isn't so amazingly faster per dollar, uh, I don't see yet anyone that I've worked with choosing 
that platform on servers and the internet simply to, for cost savings, but that's a potential, right? We could see that in the future if ARM indeed, you know, if the silicon that AWS is making gets that much better and it becomes that much cheaper, we could see that as well. So there was a time, maybe a year and a half ago, where I was telling people and making videos saying, hey, if you want to use these new servers running ARM on AWS's platform that are really cheap, they're kind of slow, but they're really cheap. If you want to use those, this is how you do that on your Intel machine with Docker Desktop. I was talking about the, the manifest file and how you would build it and using the platform option and all that stuff. But I, that may not actually be what's going to happen. It may be driven by the fact that Apple has now just decided eventually everything is going to be an ARM architecture. Like we'll maybe sell, still sell Intel for a while, meaning years. But I think that's their announcement, right? Is that eventually three years from now, they haven't really given us a timeline, I don't think. But I, I thought I heard two years at some point, but I'm not sure if that's changed. Surface Pro X is ARM. Yeah, and I had one of those. I had the original Surface ARM machine. And this was, of course, almost a decade ago, but this was crippled. It was crippled because nobody was building their apps, right? Nobody was cross-compiling their apps. So you couldn't run all the apps on the internet, even though Windows itself ran and the browser ran. That was about it. Like all my developer apps, all the add-ons, like those are all just built for Intel. So we've got to get more people on Windows ARM so that the demand is there for the developers to care about cross-compiling their apps. I'm thinking about it more from a uh, perspective of the developer team now having to do, deal with multi-architecture. If you're buying an M1 Mac, make sure if you're getting the 16 gig of RAM. Yeah, it's a nightmare without it, even if you just do moderate web browsing. Most people that I've heard that I've seen a lot of YouTube videos and people there, all the people that are saying they got this, this the eight gig one are returning it for a 16 gig one. I run a small IT company right now. Should we switch to Mac? Because many companies do the same. That's a totally different conversation, but it's to me giving people choice. If you're concerned about retaining talent, give them choice. That's the developer teams, the teams that I work with. If they mandate a developer do exact all the different things their way, they're going to have a hard time of getting the, the best talent, I think. So giving people choice is kind of what most companies are being forced to do with their developer and software teams. I had some issues running some tools like Ansible Terraform inside Docker container on M1. I'd be curious what your issues are. Obviously, we're in preview right now, but hopefully you're reporting those issues to Docker because we're still in early, early days, right? This, the, the preview release has only been around for months. So this is pretty early days for Docker. So expect rough edges, but interested in what your use, what your problems are. You're using the upcoming feature from Docker called BuildX. BuildX has been around for years, so it's not new. So it should be perfectly fine. It should work great for you. That's how we can do it. And, and M1 Macs don't support money multi-monitor. From a software development point of view, when will they really care about the underlying architecture of the infrastructure apps are deployed on? Well, because we've all been on Intel and we haven't had choice, no one had to care because everyone was just building on Intel and shipping to Intel. Your servers were Intel, your laptops were Intel. But what happens when all your laptops are AMD and your servers are Intel? Now you have to build for a different architecture than what your machine's on. Or what happens when all of your build machines are still Intel, but they're building images that you're going to run on your local machine, but your local machine isn't Intel anymore. So you're going to have to care about that manifest file. And you're going to have to start uh, learning the buildx command and how to build multi-architecture images. The pre-filled commands on my CLI, that is ZSH. So look up ZSH, specifically oh my ZSH. If you go to brettfisher.com slash shell, that sends you to all of my stuff. brettfisher.com slash shell. So that's going to give you all of the specifics about the, the themes I use, the add-ons I use, stuff like that. But that is specifically oh my ZSH.
If I switch to Windows containers and Docker Desktop for Windows, it will run the images in them instead of WSL. Correct. When you switch to Windows containers, there is technically, I think, I don't know if it's, it was a beta feature. I don't know if it still exists anymore. There was a feature that allowed you in the background, you could create a Linux VM and a Windows VM at the same time. Don't know if that was like years ago. I don't know if with WSL2 how that's going to work or if that even is supported. I assume right now, if you enable Windows containers mode, there's real no way to, for it to spin up the Linux VM anymore. If I migrate a Docker container from AWS ARM architecture to my private K8 environment, which is x86, will hit performance impact due to QEMU. What are the suggestions and best practices to avoid performance hit? I mean, you're either using QEMU or you're not. So I don't know how much QEMU tuning there is. On a server, I would never recommend you do that. Maybe on build servers, if you don't want to run multiple servers for different architectures, maybe your build servers use it for building. But for production kind of stuff on a server, you're always going to want to build your image for the server architecture that you're on. And you would use the docker buildx command to do that. Just to reiterate, because the MySQL image doesn't have the build on Docker Hub, you'll have to emulate it on the machine in order to build the image. Yes and no. I think what you mean is in order to run the image. So in order to run MySQL on an M1 Mac today, it will have to use QEMU emulation. And you'll have to specify the platform. So you would have to do docker run dash platform. Linux, ARM64, MySQL. That's how you would make it work. And then it would automatically kick in the QEMU. What I'd like to know is how do I build multi-arc images or does the repository have separate images and somehow sends you the right one? Yes, that's exactly what's happening. So in a registry for the repository, right? So let's say the node repository, since we're talking about node. In that node repository, for each tag, you can technically push an image for various architectures, and they will all run under that same tag based on the architecture of where you're running it. Because Docker will always default to matching the image architecture to your architecture that you're running on. The dash platform option is to override that default and run a different architecture, assuming you have QEMU enabled uh, on your machine. That's how that works. So when you do a Docker push, you're pushing one of those. I think you can do Docker push. I don't know if it's all or there's an option in there that allows you to push, I think, all of the different architectures at the same time. I could be wrong on that. But you essentially would uh, use a build X command with the option of which platforms you want it to build for. And then it would build multiple ones or just one if you wanted to build a different one. When you do a Docker build X by default, it builds to the architecture of the machine you're building on. That's the the sort of Docker approach, right? Everything's default out of the box to the assumption of the majority of people, what you really want. And then you can override those defaults. That's why it works that way. Won't CICD tools going to take care of most all the hassles around having a multi-architecture development? I don't think so because one, the CI person has to now build those images for multi-architectures. But again, it's all about running these on your local machine. By the way, this isn't a Docker file thing, actually. You don't specify the architecture in the Docker file. You specify it when you build that image. Now it's possible you can have one Docker file that would work possibly on multiple architectures that you build. You would build each the images for each architecture and it's possible that Docker file, depending on what's in it, would work for each one of those. And that's largely based on is the image, if you do a from image, does that image also support the same architectures that you wanna build for? Cause it's gonna have to match all of the different layers are all gonna have to match that same architecture. So you can't cross 
architecture, you know, the layers of an image. They all have to match. So if I do a Docker build node on a Raspberry Pi, it's going to pull the, the ARM, the ARM64 version of node. It's going to pull that from image and then add my code in on top of it and then do any NPM commands and all that. If I did that same Docker file on an Intel Mac versus the Raspberry Pi, it would actually build a different image by default. It would build an x86-64 image. And most people just haven't really noticed that until they do, right? And, then, and when they do, it's because they try to run something on a different architecture and Docker keeps saying, there's no image for that in the manifest. There's no image for this architecture or whatever the command is. I do a Docker run platform arm and we know MySQL doesn't work because there is no image for it. So it gives me this error, no matching manifest for that architecture in the manifest list entries. And we know that because we went and looked at MySQL on the website, but I could also do a Docker manifest inspect MySQL latest, and it shows me one architecture, but only has one built in the registry. If it showed me a list of two or three, then I could use the dash platform command when I do a pull or when I do a run to specify or override the default. Hopefully that's starting to sink in there. Uh, so just so I understand, if the image on Docker Hub doesn't have an ARM available, Docker desktop will have to emulate. Yes, that is correct. Just so I understand, if the image pulled from Docker Hub doesn't have a build that is native to my machine, its only choice is to emulate what is available on Docker Hub, correct? Yes, but it's not going to make that choice for you automatically. See, the, the command I just ran, it just errors out. So it's not going to try to emulate things. It's not like it's going to fall back to emulation you would have to specify that as a platform alternative for Docker to do that. It's not like Docker is going to try this image. And then if that architecture doesn't work, then it's going to try this one. That, that's not a feature yet. At least I don't expect it to ever be. I haven't heard anyone doing that. The push flag generates a multi-architecture manifest and pushes all the images to Docker Hub. On Docker build X help. And specifically, I want to do a Docker build X build. When you do a push, this is like a one-liner that you can basically do now where you do Docker build X build and you specify the platforms. So there's a lot of stuff we can do in the builder. And if we specify the platforms we want to build for with the dash platform, and then we specify the push, it will actually build these images and then push them all. And I tested that when it first came out, but I haven't done it since because I've, I've not been working with teams that need multi-architecture. and most of the time, quite honestly, I haven't been using the build X command in most cases because teams, they're just now getting there with the Docker build command. Build X is still pretty advanced for relatively new shops to Docker and Kubernetes. So instead of doing an example, because we're already running long on the show, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the docs because the docs already have examples. And we'll just, we'll go through the docs real quick. Working with build X. So the build X command still, I, I still think it's an experimental. It's marked as experimental. That doesn't mean you can't use it. It just means that the features of it may change. Um, once it's out of experimental, it's, Docker's basically saying they're going to support all those features for as long as they can. But once it, when it's in experimental, like the command line options might change. They might add one or remove one. The way it works might slightly change. Doesn't mean that it's necessarily entirely unstable and that you should never use it. Uh, people have been using BuildX for real world stuff for years now. It's, it came out in like the 1903 release in 2019. So it's definitely been out there. So for multi, platform images. But just like I use the platform to run it, I use that dash platform to build it. 
and I can specify one. If I don't specify anything, it's again, going to build on the platform that I'm on. It's going to build that image, Linux AMD 64 for most of us. But I could specify ARM as a second one. It would then build both. And if I specify dash push, it's going to then push both those images based on the tags that I specify in the command line. It's going to push those up to, to your registry all in one go. Do you have any approach running QEMU to run uh, Linux with Docker API on Mac M1 and access with Docker client outside that VM, just like Docker Toolbox did? So you, I guess you're talking about how do I run a not Docker desktop, just Docker in a VM, and then how do you do QEMU in that VM and then do the Docker command line from your host? I think that's what you're saying. Toolbox used to do. I don't have basically the steps, and I don't have this written down. I don't have a blog post on this. The steps are create that VM, install Docker. Then you in, need to install QEMU and enable that in Docker so that it knows where to find it. Docker has documentation on that. So I haven't looked at this one. Uh, this is from Stereo Labs. QEMU sort of puts itself in the middle as the emulator between your applications of one architecture and the kernel of a different architecture. That's a pretty good one to have. And then if you just look up QEMU install, you basically need to install that. And Docker will use that based on, I can't remember if it's a config in the Docker config file, which is in slash Etsy slash Docker slash config, I think. Maybe config.json, not sure the exact name on that. I looked up this how to do this a year and a half ago, and I haven't done it since. Now, then once you've done that, that's the next step. Now, install the Docker command line on your Mac. So maybe you just used, don't install Docker desktop. I mean, you could. But if you don't want Docker Desktop at all, if that's your purpose to avoid Docker Desktop, then you would just need the Docker command line that's built for Mac, and you can probably get that from Brew. And then you're going to use the Docker context command to use probably SSH to talk to that VM. So you can use an SSH colon slash. That's one way to tell Docker to talk to another system is through the SSH. And if you set up SSH in your VM, so that's how I would do it. If I wanted to have a Docker on my local machine and a local VM, and that VM running QEMU in that, so I could do other architectures. You could just run a different architecture VM. I don't know if that even works. I know QEMU can do that, but I don't know actually how to do that on Mac. I've never actually tried to do that. Like, which, how could I create an ARM VM on an Intel Mac? I don't even know. I'm assuming that's possible because I know that supposedly QEMU can do it, but I don't know how you do that. I've never tried. All right. You can support me on Patreon. Thank you so much to those of you who are on Patreon. You can just follow me there to get all my updates whenever new things released. So expect to see more updates for that. And if you want to buy me a coffee, I really appreciate it. It really keeps this show going as well as the podcast. You can get all that stuff at patreon.com slash Brett Fisher. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.